Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Tapcalf Transmissions, the only Star Wars podcast out there at all. So if you've been thinking you've been listening to other Star Wars podcasts, you Mm-mm. actually haven't. You haven't, but, that's uh, right. Yeah, so we are here to talk about <laughs> the final of the Han Solo adventures, Han Solo and the Lost Legacy. Mm-hmm. Joining me, Corey Loses slash Corey's Datapad, Corey of Corey's Datapad. I'm not the actual Datapad, it's my Datapad. <laughs> But uh, anyways, joining me as always is my co-host, Mr. Justin Eckhart's Ladder. I do like the idea that there's some like some creature out there that's Corey, and you've just been like his his laptop the entire time. <laughs> his like sentient laptop. I don't know. I I don't like that idea at all, actually. So I don't know Fair why enough. you do. I think that's actually kind of creepy. Just, I like just imagining this. there's this, like, giant creature out somewhere who one day will return to, like, claim what he has lost in the form of his data pad. So some know. kind of, like, Lovecraftian horror. You could be called maybe his lost legacy. Wow, that's, uh, that actually ties into what we're talking about today. <laughs> oh, that was... On Solo. That wasn't on purpose, and, I swear. And that thing you said. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're... We are concluding the Han Solo Adventures trilogy. We had to miss out on last week. That's on uh, me, baby. But uh, but yeah, we're we're here now. Yeah, next. That's week, what's important. We got an exciting one next week, I think. Next week, do we want to say it now, or do we want to wait until we're done the episode? Let's say it now. We're going to be talking about. Yeah. No, justify it. Fine, go for it. I was just going to say, you know what? Some homies they just want to pop on, listen to 15, 20 minutes of Han Solo. In the Lost Legacy book discussion. I don't think we need to punish them for that. That's cool. Yeah, that's fair. That's valid. That's fair and valid. That's even fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are going to be look, talking about the first volume of the 2003 Clone Wars cartoon slash The, the Tartar series. Sauce edition? Yes, Tartar Sauce edition. <laughs> uh, we're going to see the super overpowered version of general grievous and the mace windu that annihilates entire armies of battle droids with his bare hands yeah the the very over the top clone wars the very fun clone wars as well so the way we're going to do this guys is it's split into three volumes i'm pretty sure it's three so we'll do volume one next week and then we'll go back to a book with the week after that it will be isard's revenge which is another x-wing novel which i know a lot of you guys are waiting for us to cover uh and then we'll do clone wars and then maybe like children of the jedi or something after that yeah or maybe jedi prince i don't know uh we'll figure it out don't want to tie ourselves down too far in advance that's true the title is too long so the y and legacy got cut off but uh no one on the audio side needs to worry about that so yeah so yeah get your uh get your clone wars fix in before next week as always if you guys have any comments or questions or whatever else you can email us at tapcaftransmissions at gmail.com. And so, yeah, my fault on last episode, I don't, I think it was a Gus thing, or maybe I was. I think I you were just the, tired. Yeah. There was also a day last week where, I think it was after we played Sea of Thieves, where, let's be honest, Dad was a little hungover, a little bit hungover. I'm in line with Gus to pick something up. The little bugger straight up headbutts me in the temple, the side of the head, like, just i'm just holding him he just full-on smacks me he's completely unfazed gave me legitimately a migraine that day 
Like I had to go yeah. home and sleep. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was after the podcast. Was yeah, that was after the I podcast. I was just trying to remember if that was the day. Um, well, the the brain damage you suffered. <laughs> yeah, it makes it all a little fuzzy. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think you hadn't completely finished the book until the day of, mm-hmm. and uh, you were trying to time a nap with the rest of the work you had to do, and then finishing the book. So yeah, I very graciously offered to delay it for this. We week. did. So, you did. So we're here now. Our, our mm-hmm. plan for a weekly podcast is still in progress. Yep. But uh, we're, we're finishing like, Han Solo today. Yeah, we're saying goodbye to the warm and cozy Han Solo Adventures by Brian Daly. Do you want to give your overall thoughts before we get into this book? Because I think our discussion on today's uh, story and today's book will be a little shorter than the other ones. Because, just let's be honest, we've played out this plot three times now. Yeah. Each book is kind of a different version on the same, on the same kind of general plot structure, which is fun. They're fun. They're they're fine. They're fun books, uh, but they're even like almost the exact same pages. Each one is like between yeah. 180 and 187 pages. Uh, so you guys kind of know this the song and dance by now. Yeah, like he, the basic structure of all of them, especially at Star's End in this one, is Han is hard up looking for a job. Old contact comes back, offers him a job. He goes to some place to talk about the job with this other person. Uh, they don't trust each other at first. Yeah. Aerial chase of some kind ensues. They start <laughs> trusting each other. They go to the final planet they're going to be on, have their adventure, find the thing they're looking for. And at the start of the next book, Han is missing money again. But Yeah, uh, they get enough money to repair the Falcon usually and to fix up any small damages, but not really yeah. enough to get ahead. It's, only really... it's always going to be enough money to really set them up for life, especially this time. This is really mm-hmm. set up as a as a yeah. whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but in... So I think probably uh, this one... They kind of undersell the value of the treasure once they find it. I'm really jumping right to the end of the book for this point. Mm-hmm. But it it was really getting me when I was finishing it, where it's like, oh, well, this is stuff that's really common. It's like... Well, the whole point about these ancient artifacts and stuff isn't like you wouldn't find a like if you were going into an ancient pharaoh's tomb or something, you wouldn't see stuff written on paper and be like, what is this bullshit? It's on paper. We've got a ton of paper. <laughs> yeah. No, that's still valuable. The problem is that you went and grave robbed it from people who were still there looking after it. It was their stuff and you stole it. Yeah, this is one of the most... Honest uh, does a lot of fairly ethically dubious things um in this one like for me the one that the the moment that really kind of jumped out was when he basically allows the the guardians to just ravage that minor camp despite the fact that we know that like there are innocent people there too like yeah there are some 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 mean fellas there but there's innocence there (laughs) yeah that's where like yeah exactly and they're just like let it happen (laughs) And uh, Bollocks clearly had the ability to, like, alter what they'd be going for. Like, no, just save the Falcon. Yeah, that was... Yeah, there's there's some questionable stuff there. I mean, it's we should probably not get too far ahead, though. Like, we haven't even talked about Chewbacca trying to pick up a couple females. That is true. Uh, so, <laughs> as, as books so often should, uh, we open up with... Han and Chewie working for an aerial circus on uh, <laughs> and Dealey, I think mm-hmm. the planet is called. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and, well, 
I wasn't clear if they were going around to different planets or if it was always on that planet because it was yeah. a traveling air circus. Yeah. And uh, this guy who's running it, that Han and Chewie are working for. He's kind of a bum. He's just in backwater yeah, he's... worlds. He's like not that epic, but like he's basically like. It's like if you're running like the. I don't know, like the air show down in the sticks and like no one's seen a plane before. Like it's, you know, it's pretty easy to entertain them. Um, and Han's like, this guy sucks. Like I could do this. No problem. Yeah. And after the events of the, of the last book, uh, Han is still kind of wanted by the corporate sector. Mm -hmm. And that's why we are not in the corporate sector this time. No. We were in a different, but similar <laughs> Tion hegemony. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's still kind of interesting, but it's, there's a little bit of difference between where they are this time and the CSA because the, the Tiana hegemony, or I, I got, I got some, uh, some hate for calling it a uh, hegemony. I don't know if that's a, if that's a incorrect pronunciation or whatever, but I covered them in a video, but, um, they're kind of like even more backwater than the CSA. Like the CSA is not an Imperial territory. Um, it's very resource rich though. There's lots of big corporations there. They've got, um, the CSA, all the different arms of the, the sort of organization there, the police and whatnot. And then in the hegemony, it's hegemony. more backwater. Um, like they, they describe all the technology as being years out of date. All of these planets don't really get very much attention. Um, they talk about that a bit when they're on the final planet of the book and like, they talk about how like their the sensor data on that planet's like 140 years out of date because the the surveying is just not working as it should. So it's not a glittering center of the galaxy by any means. Yeah, so this is slightly more integrated into the Empire, mm -hmm. uh, or a lot more integrated than the CSA is, which is fairly independent. Uh, they of course have some local power, but the thing that makes uh, the Tion hegemony hegemony. Uh, as important as it is, is that it used to be one of the main centers of power in the galaxy, right? Pre-Republic, even. So mm -hmm. the Kingdom of Kron was taken over by Zer, and then his son Zim the Despot took over even larger parts of the galaxy before losing to the Huts. And this is something I've actually got some videos that I've been working on coming mm -hmm. out next week uh, on. So just shameless plug there, but the. This is a long, long time ago. They've kind of fallen into uh, kind of obscurity. And one thing that I was trying to keep an eye out for in this book that I didn't notice any explicit mentions of mm -hmm. was just how long ago uh, the time scale there was. Because... Yeah, it's pretty it's, ambiguous. Yeah, because like we get mentions of it being pre-Republic. Pre-Republic, yeah. By uh, implication through... The survivors. Uh, the survivors and also skinks being the uh the pre-republic expert in this right. area yeah and so then by just uh by extension of that it then has to be about twenty-four thousand years before so everything we see with the survivors and with the um with the droids and everything that is supposed to be very ancient twenty-four thousand years old uh, mm -hmm. And my take, like, the way I was reading it seemed like when Brian Daly was developing this, he was thinking more on the scale of a couple hundred to maybe a couple thousand years. Yeah. But nowhere near what it ended up being canonically. 
Yeah, because it talks about the survivors like basically shacking up with each other and waiting for a time to kind of break out of their little part of the galaxy. But they've been there for like tens of thousands of years and like they've been inbreeding for that long and like, I don't know. But I mean, it is pretty clear though, like in, in episode four, they he basically, Obi-Wan says that the Jedi, I think he specifically says that the Jedi Knights were guardians of peace and justice in the Republic for a thousand generations, so... That itself kind of sets a timeline for the Republic. So I don't really know. That is an interesting question. I don't really think it gets... We get a very explicit answer, though. Yeah, and uh, isn't it all on Duralt? Like, the mining colonies on Duralt, the ships yeah. are on Duralt, the mm -hmm. survivors are on Duralt. Yeah. So this is tens of thousands of years of them being there, basically right next to... Yeah, people. I was kind of wondering how no one spotted the droids before now. <laughs> yeah, but especially uh, when Han is talking about how they've done so much to like fly over and find like they pretty much stumble ass backwards into finding the treasure when it's supposed to be one of the most. Uh, yeah, yeah, and like, and then okay, so 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 we are getting a bit ahead of ourselves. But I think that's fine for this book. They basically find the treasure in this place that's already been fully explored, but no one had, like, went down that one hallway before, I yeah. guess. Well, it's like, okay, there was the fake vaults that were empty, which mm -hmm. meant no one thought to check just like below. the back them. room. <laughs> it's like you go into gym class, you open the door, there's like, oh, there's no basketballs in here. And, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're in the basketball room. <laughs> like, open the door, man. <laughs> yeah, it was the least thorough investigation yeah. of anything that anyone has ever done. And I don't understand how uh, how they never found this stuff. It's like, but... hey, John, you got a flashlight so we can check back here? Well, it's on the ship. All right, well, pro it's probably fine. <laughs> Let's get going. <laughs> it's very strange. And... <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're, they're mentioned as... The survivors are mentioned as waiting there for mm -hmm. uh, for their chance to move and... Um, they're they're planning to use this uh, this treasure hoard, which includes a lot of war droids, Zim's war droids that were guards on the Queen of Ranroon, which is the treasure ship that Zim's mm -hmm. like that's holding all of mm -hmm. Zim's wealth. Uh, but they're they're planning to launch an attack on the galaxy, and there's a line later on in the book that uh, the reason they're moving now, or the reason they'd be able oh, to move yeah. now, is because. <laughs> Uh, the Empire has all these troubles, but they weren't able to do anything until now because the Old Republic was stable and unbeatable. <laughs> so it's kind yeah. of portraying the Old Republic as this unified, pretty strong military power, which is, again, kind of the opposite of what we ultimately mm -hmm. get. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of the struggles of going off one book or one movie worth of uh, materials, but definitely not something that holds up consistency-wise once you've read uh, or experienced more. Because, like, I can think about... 10,000 different opportunities in the Republic era when they could yeah. have invaded and done a lot of damage. Um, Especially where they are. They could have just been like, okay, we're ruling ourselves. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the one thing that's kind of interesting about the, the like, Teon space as well is that there is still, like, a bit more of an Imperial presence than the CSA because Han threatens, basically, like, on the first mission they do, Han threatens to get, like, an Imperial customs officer down here. Yeah. Um, for so stopping I thought that was an authorized imperial shipment, the uh, mm -hmm. the authorities on Brigia are going to be uh, cracked down on if they try to interfere too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
there's it's kind of a, a little bit of a different political setup although i think in book two we also get some mention of like imperial trading authorities and stuff so it is still kind of unclear exactly how these semi-autonomous uh areas of the galaxy work um but that gets fleshed out in other things especially the essential atlas has a whole um like couple pages on client states of the empire or like independent states like hut territory the hapens the csa then there's the centrality from the lando books um so if you guys are wanting to know more about that you should check out the the atlas and the essential guide to warfare has some information as well but the atlas is really the there's like if you look at the uh the atlas map i thought it was interesting there's actually like a hundred or so different um kind of independent groups in the ga or independent semi-autonomous um factions like even bothan space it says it's given a quite a bit of autonomy which i didn't realize and thought was kind of interesting yeah like a lot of the early empire stuff was them trying to reestablish control over like separatist areas or areas that had never really had republic control to begin with uh, so we kind of get a hint at with like tatooine when padme's like oh well, why doesn't doesn't the republic ban slavery mm -hmm. and shmi's like I, no, no. <laughs> no one cares about this that's like your privilege is showing padme <laughs> which is kind of funny when like naboo's lore gets fleshed out because naboo only joined the republic like mm -hmm. yeah, 40 good. or 50 years before the moment's just basically like well if they're poor why don't their parents just give them more money <laughs> <laughs> yeah naboo people only cared about naboo because they there was all the mining going on there i think yeah well it covers that a bit in uh Plagueis, yeah um He's basically taught. I, I really like that part of Plagueis where they're talking about like, because you see Naboo like kind of go through that process of them adding the new generators and stuff, and that part of Plagueis was really cool. Um, yeah, that book is so good. We got to re. We might have to do a Plagueis reread on the podcast at some point. I'd be down. Me too. It's so it's so reference dense. Yeah, it really is, and it, that's why it'd kind of be interesting to come back after we've read a lot more stories and after we've kind of even gotten better at this whole podcasting thing yeah um because that was one of the earliest books we did i think it was probably the first 10 episodes maybe within the first 10 yeah it was it was pretty early because i think we did it uh just coming out of the x-wing series mm -hmm. so like the the ones that are chronologically together yeah and i think it was like probably seventh or eighth yeah that sounds about right to me um yeah so we got off topic um so it starts off like we said with han is working as basically a mechanic for this air show um he gets out of that and he does a kind of run with some it's like data tapes and stuff to a planet in the tion hegemony um they kind of like send him on on his way though and he like plays the data over like a loudspeaker from what i remember it's like five pages in the book yeah, this is the the Brigia University campus before they head to Rudrig, which is the main campus. And this is when he's with Hissal. Sorry, I, I, I muted my mic there for a second. Oh. <laughs> As I was just talking about how, uh, how much better we've gotten at doing the podcast. <laughs> I muted my mic for like 10 seconds and didn't even realize. I was like looking at the, the lines on Audacity. I was like, huh, that's weird. <laughs> but yeah so it's it's basically just like again i don't think the details are important it's kind of the same setup as we've got in the last two books there's 
a little adventure, then we get a setup for a much bigger adventure. Um, so of the three setups, though, which was your favorite? Because I really like Han starting a cult in Revenge. I, I don't think any of them, or I don't think the other two get anywhere near the Han Solo movie theater cult. <laughs> yeah, that one's definitely the the funnest one. Um, this one I thought was kind of boring and like, yeah. I mean, how do you beat movie theater cult, really? Um, like you've got if you were to take like the different parts of the book and splice them together because mm. it's the same plot you can just plug and play different parts of it <laughs> i think you take that that intro from revenge and then you take the uh the first battle from star's end so like getting yes. in with doc's daughter yeah that starfighter uh, battle for sure starfighter battle because uh, that's much better than what we get here with the with the limo thing except mm-hmm. for what you alluded to earlier uh is captain chewbacca with his admiral's <laughs> hat or add-on, captain, yeah. admiral's hat he has admiral's the csa hat. that they negotiated for <laughs> and uh he's got uh chewbacca is legitimately trying to wrangle some tail yeah like like he, like they, they leave a club with chewbacca he's got like his arm around these two girls like like chewbacca's Chewbacca's Isn't it in the shower? Dude. Like Han goes to see him at the showers. And oh yeah, that's right. If, Han's if, getting uh, like a tan, basically. Captain Chewbacca. <laughs> so, yeah, I do like to how Han goes with it. Like he's Han is pretty cocky in, in these books, um, but he's like Chewbacca's about to have a threesome. Like I gotta help my dude out here. <laughs> so Han, uh, Han, Chewie, and. Uh, the two girls are in their limo, mm-hmm. and Chewie's got an admiral's hat on. This is <laughs> this is what needed to be in the essential reader's companion. Yeah, and it's it's also a big character development because I didn't know Chewie wore clothes, and in this book he wears a hat at least for a while. <laughs> well, it's like his bandolier, but yeah, slightly more epic. Chewie's so. still hanging dong. It's just this time he's like got a cool hat on as well. Yeah. Um, but so they're on the planet uh, on Rudrig, and Han runs into Badur and this lady that he doesn't really know. And Badur is an old friend of him of his. He owes him a life debt. Um, Badur, I think at first just asks him for transportation, um, but Han's like, "No, we're doing our own stuff." Then he goes off to see Chewie, and Chewie, of course, being the sentimental type and very loyal, is like, "No, we have to do this." Well, they also specifically owe Badur uh, a life debt, mm-hmm. uh, or Chewbacca would see it that way, where yeah. Badur saved both of them once and was now asking for this, not mentioning the life debt, but Chewie, as soon as he hears that Badur wanted something, he's like, no, we're... Yeah, let's, this let's is my dude. Yeah. So, th- he's basically got like a, a fix on the, the crash of the Queen of Ranrune, which we've kind of alluded to now. It was sort of this old treasure ship of Zim the Despot, who was this big uh, ruler thousands of years ago, um, and he thinks he's got he, he thinks he's got a a, um, a lock on it. And alongside him and his, uh, I don't remember what what's her name, Hasty. Hasty. Yeah. So the way they actually got the uh, the lock on Queen of Ranrune was that there was a log recorder that was recovered by. Uh, Hasty's sister Lonnie because mm-hmm. they're from they met Badur when they were at a mining camp on yeah. Geralt yeah. Uh, and Lonnie had been trying to get the information to them 
but she was killed by some of the mining colony runner people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rawl, I think the guy's name is Rawl, mm-hmm. and Juwatch. I know Juwatch's name is correct, but I I can't remember the exact arrangement of R's and A's <laughs> for her brothers. Some name. apostrophes there. Yeah, he does. He does basically nothing except explode towards the end of the, the book <laughs> while he's trying to skim Han and a Han's uh, got an AK basically and just <laughs> giving it. Yeah. Yeah. So he he ends up not being an especially relevant character, but no. uh, uh, Juoch is usually kind of the face of that group, mm-hmm. along with uh, some other guy. <laughs> There's a lot of names by this point, but the important part is that. Lonnie has hidden something, um, basically the which will help them find the location of Zim's uh, vault on this planet. So that's where they're trying to go now. And alongside them, they have who I think is actually one of my favorite side characters uh, we've gotten in these books so far. His name is Skinks, and he's basically like I imagine him as like a fuzzy caterpillar kind of like, but larger. Like he seems like he's so- like. A, a couple of feet long, maybe. Yeah, there's actual there's art not just of Rurians, but also specifically of skinks like reading something, and it's it's pretty great. If you haven't seen it, I'm gonna. No, I gotta see this. His he has his initials and everything. S V skinks. S V skinks. There he is. Yeah, that's that's basically exactly. <laughs> He's got a little. I'm gonna coat link on. this in the chat because yeah, this is this is arguably the best image to ever come out of Star Wars, and. <laughs> For For those listening on audio, yeah, just Google uh, S-K-Y-N-X Wikipedia. I don't know what you'd get if you don't put that part, but there is a picture on Wikipedia of uh, Skinks from... And it's not Skinks Nix, the the guy on Kessel. That's that's different. (laughs) Yes. Very easy mistake to make. When I first read his name, I was like, oh, this is that. No, no, it's not the same guy. Like yeah, I was kind of thinking that too because Skinks is also kind of a a weirdly uh, he's he's like got a weird body shape too, and he's I remember him being very like slender, and I was like I was wondering the exact same thing. Yeah, it, it was only like a two sentence period where I was thinking, oh, is this going to be him? Because it's yeah. Kevin J. Anderson, so he yeah. always pulls in stuff, but not in this case. Unfortunately, Skinks and Skinksnicks are different people. It works better this way too because I think Han has a negative opinion of Skinksnicks immediately. Oh, yeah. And Skinks in this is an absolute bro. Like he gets drunk. He he's cute. Uh he's always curling up in balls. Uh yeah. he basically so Skinks is like he's basically like an insect alien. Um and he's at like the the kind of early stage of his life and he's working um in a university, but later on like eventually once he gets older he will kind of enter this cocoon phase and then he comes out as a chroma wing i think they call it which is basically like the next stage of yeah it's like a a butterfly um and then at that point he kind of like loses his intellect and becomes kind of just like a biologically uh driven thing like it's almost like a death at that point myself and then spend the rest of my life fucking before i die (laughs) hans like hmm no, but it's a uh, it's so like that's an essentially a death for him, especially um, a very intelligent being like he is. So he wants to go on this big adventure, uh, and that's part of the reason why he's doing this. Besides the obvious uh, historical value and his role in the university, but 
I don't know. He's a, he's a, he's a likable, pretty likable character in my opinion. And he does by eleven ABY turn into a chroma wing, so he only has so Damn. much time ahead of him at this point. It's kind of sad, man. That bums me out. Yeah. So poor one out for skinks and. Uh... <clears throat> oh well, tonight when we play Bureau Card, I'll I'll pour one out for skinks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but they have to go get uh get the log recorder that Lonnie had uh had left out of uh out of a bank situation where yeah. she's left it and they, they have to like do voice access. So Hasty's mm-hmm. not sure if she's going to be able to do it, but they do. Uh, it does take the, the limo attack or the attack on the group of them to convince Han and Chewie that they should work together mm-hmm. uh, for reasons. Yeah. But um, yeah. So the plan that they're on too, it's like, it's this very dull. Alt is like, no one goes there. Han's like, yeah, there's like one ship that comes here a year. So it's kind of like an interesting thing where they come out at first, they're all like very wary, but they think they'll be able to to scare away any locals, and they sort of do. Although some are interested, but then they get attacked by the the mining company that's there, and they're forced to kind of like retreat away from the city. Then they go on this very like fantastical wandering through the woods and across this lake and stuff. Yeah, the lake part was especially weird, where there's like this weird. Uh, it's like a it's like a whale thing. Fish people, <laughs> yeah, who. Like giant have a fairy business, yeah. yeah. They're like giant, yeah. giant sapient whales essentially. Um, and there's this one hotshot one that's running the running the lake, um, and he charges outrageous fees. And he's got like this little gang with him. And then there's that guy's uncle who kind of wants to reassert his proper control. He's like, my my nephew is really out of control right now. We got to get back and run this lake properly. So there's kind of a little tussle there that Han and Co are a part of, but they get free transport across the lake with uh, nothing, nothing worse than a couple bruises. Those scoundrels. Yeah. It was a really weird section. Yeah, it's kind of just action for action's sake, really, because yeah. those whale things don't appear anymore after that. Um, yeah. That's fine. So when they get across the lake, too, they still have a fairly... Because now they're trying to go to the mining operations because the Millennium Falcon's been stolen. Um, they've got a fairly tough hike. Like, I think they go for multiple days. Uh, it starts off, they're all very kind of happy. They're feeling it. Um, Skinks is really loving this shit. He's playing instruments. Uh, very good mood. But then, you know, the tr- the hardship of their trudge starts to get to them. And... They stop at this airfield where they think they might be able to steal a speeder or something. Uh, Han and Chewie go in to check it out. They find that all the speeders and stuff are basically just they're fake. They're they're basically just cardboard cutouts essentially, although a little more a little more competently made than that. Um, and when everyone's down there checking it out, they get attacked uh, by this group known as the survivors, and they get sort of hauled off into this prison under the ground. In, in the mountain, essentially. Yeah, so these are the leftovers of, uh, I guess, Zim's ship crew, essentially, from the mm-hmm. Queen of Ranrune, uh, who are sitting there waiting for uh, for their chance to attack the galaxy like we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And they've been more or less undiscovered forever, despite their whole valley of uh, the... Uh, of the war droids. Yeah, that's a little weird. I just kind of imagine them as sitting sitting out in the open and like, 
no one notices them. Yeah, like Galandro and Juoch have been looking for them forever. Everyone's been looking for them forever. But all it takes is wandering into the thing and getting captured. Uh, yeah, and Hung gets a look at the face and he's like, they look a little incesty if I'm being honest. <laughs> and they have, spoiler alert, been very incesty for yeah. a long time. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of inbreeding, not good stuff. Um, uh, they are big fans of human sacrifice, which is what's going to happen. Yeah, they uh, sort of devolved into like, like tribal, not tribalism. They've devolved into like savagery, I guess, because at this point they're trying to get a, a message out and they're waiting for some communication back, I guess, from Zim. Although, to be honest, they've probably forgotten Zim's name and are mostly just uh, like, like they're feral at this point, essentially. So they believe that by I, I'm pretty sure they said that they believe that by sacrificing Han and the others that they can increase the signal strength of this message they're sending out. Yeah, which Be doesn't seem like that's how their technology actually works. So no, because Bollocks understands them, and this is where he, they get a bit more information about kind of who the survivors are because he can identify their language as being from the pre-Republic era. So basically the clue that they've been hanging out in that mountain for a minute. Yeah, so they, they do manage to escape, luckily. Um, yep. And Badur goes and rearms them. He makes a run for their weapons rather than just running out, and Han and Chewie have to save him. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but they get their weapons, they start returning fire at the survivors, mm -hmm. and uh, they come across this valley of the... Uh, of the war droids who well, we got to talk uh, about how they got how they get down there though because that's that was my favorite scene in the book the remember yeah so there's like this giant dong that's a part of this <laughs> giant dong that's a part of the ceremony um that they're using as a shield but they're being completely overwhelmed so the whole gang basically turns it over like you'd imagine it and they sled down the uh the mountain it's just i don't know i thought it was a very fun scene um, because like they're all trying to hold on like Chewbacca's got his legs wrapped around Badur and um, Skinks is like running up their shoulder grabbing Chewbacca's gun as it's flying off and I don't know it was just like it was the most pure fun adventure scene for me in the whole book and I enjoyed it yeah and while they're actually in the the prison about to be sacrificed I think that's when Han tries to kiss Hosty well they do and, kiss but well he yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then Han she doesn't... basically repeats the same line that the that Fiola and uh, or less Fiola. Fiola was yeah, Fiola's more kind different of a... from uh, yeah Hosty and the one from the first book. <laughs> but it's the same kind of plot where like Han sort of gets involved with these people and then he's not and then yeah. he'll just never settle down. It's like okay, well yeah, he's like she's like I want to have a farm. Do you even know how to farm? And she's like I don't want to be a maid on a spaceship. Which you know what? Fair enough. Yeah. Like, a life with Han isn't probably that good unless you are a Chewbacca. Yeah. Like, the Millennium Falcon doesn't even really have a kitchen. It's got, like, a microwave, basically. A space microwave. Uh, we actually do find out that it... Uh, I know. It has the, the food processors, but it's all greasy Corellia. It's basically just uh, the greasiest diner you can think of, and that's what Corellia is as a planet. <laughs> yeah, it's like 1950s America, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm cool with it. Um... Which kind of the makes hydraulics that they're talking about in the last book, 
Uh, it's actually based on the grease that gets pushed out of the food processor. <laughs> oh, God. It's like, Chewie, make sausages quick. We need extra speed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they, they go to this mountain. You were saying they come across the sort of cache of Zim's war droids, which I do think it's mentioned later on, to be fair, that they were moved up there. Like, I think they were deeper within the mountain or something. Hmm. But... Yeah, when when they see them, they're not really they're not right away active or anything. They're just kind of no. chilling. Um, well, they think they're getting their orders about attacking stuff, but Bollocks has to be like, "Well, you're going to get destroyed if you follow these orders. Humans can be wrong. These orders aren't from Zim." Mm-hmm. But uh, the droids are like, "No, pretty sure these are our orders. We're just going to go do that now." Bye, it's like, guys. Bud, not concerned. <laughs> orders are orders. Yeah. So the survivors kind of sick them. On the, uh, I guess on the mining, that part was a little unclear to me. At first, at first seemed like they were having them track down Han and Co. But then I guess it seemed later like they were setting them on the mining uh, operations. Yeah, Bollocks ends up switching them around into going after the mining operations. Even right. Though they were going after Han first, but they still have right. kind of orders to kill everything. And right. Uh, oh yeah, because he's like Han's destroy company. everything after you like Except follow the, the tracks, then destroy everything. Yeah. Right. And then. And... This is where Han's kind of dick move. He leads them to the the sort of mining operations where, yes, there are some bad guys there, but there are also lots of innocent miners yeah. who surely are killed in the rampage by these it's, unstoppable droids. Everything Han is doing in this book is, like, questionable at best. Yes. Like, they sure, they're going to invade the galaxy, but he didn't know that when he was trying to take their shit. Yeah, and the first book, Brian Daly basically spends, like, 300 words per chapter talking about how Han's not a bad guy. This one, it's like, maybe Han is a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) The only moment of Han being kind of, there being a little more depth to him is at the very end when he actually finds Zim's treasure before he realizes it's going to be useful or useless. And he's kind of realizing this might mean that his kind of scoundrel life with Chewbacca has come to an end. Yeah. Well, okay. in the other books, it's usually uh, the other protagonists that are saying, Han, you're not as cold as you think you are. But in this one, when he meets Badur and Hosti, Badur's like, yeah, Han, you're a dick, but Chewie ain't. He'll help <laughs> us. And then later on, the only one who says that Han might actually not be a terrible person is Galandro, mm-hmm. which is not really the vote of confidence you want. Who's this, uh, from the previous book, he's a character who was just a kind of mercenary gunslinger. Mm-hmm. who the fastest draw in the west uh he's kind of the the bridge between indiana jones and han solo right now mm-hmm. where he i think he shows up in all the indiana jones movies as well this book was <laughs> this book was very very indiana jones like mm-hmm. like this entire story if you replace the money i mean i guess it's true for all of them but like if you just have say the university town being london and the first place being I don't know, South America or something. This would basically just be an Indiana Jones movie there. Yeah, he's literally going to do excavation of yeah. archaeology shit. So, yeah, I and do like it improperly, it. much like Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like this one to me, like it almost felt like this could have been an Indiana Jones story with just, you know, repurposed, but this is before Indiana Jones. Um I don't know. I like I like it for that. It's they're very it's very very light reading. 
you're not going to have your uh, preconceived notions about the world challenged too much unless you had a an irrational hate against uh, sentient bugs. But Unless you went into the, with this uh, idea of Zim being a, a very peaceful guy somehow. <laughs> he was, in fact, a despot with lots of droids intent to kill everybody. So. Yeah. I was really sure that uh bollocks and max were going to blow themselves up mm. uh to save everyone i'm glad but they didn't instead what they end up doing was uh getting the droids to go over a rickety timber bridge and <laughs> just kind of stomp at just the right times that it splinters the wood and collapses them all into a valley and that's how they're able to to solve that problem like haha defeated by gravity and forces <laughs> yeah so not the smartest droids no. Uh, the droids are smart enough to recognize humor, but then, like, Bollocks and Blue Max kind of make a reference to a joke on me, like, huh, is this what becomes of droids? Humor? <laughs> What's wrong with these automata? Um, well, yeah, so Blue Max and Bollocks save the day. They kind of manage to influence the droids. They have everybody, not just Han and uh, Ko, but also the remaining miners and stuff. They run across this bridge, and yeah, they... The bridge just ends up collapsing. Um, very sad. Yeah, so Pretty they end sad. up getting the Millennium Falcon back. They fly back to the... With Galandro. With Galandro, who is now working with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that lasts all of five minutes, because as soon as they get to the actual treasure in the vault, Galandro's like, Haha, I'm going to shoot <laughs> you now. And he wins, but then he runs directly into some armed defense turrets that will shoot you if you run in with a weapon. Yeah, that was kind role. of that was kind of Skinks Skinks is doing. Like he pretended yeah. to be completely helpless, and uh, goaded him into following him. And he just basically gets like eviscerated. <laughs> like he's he gets pink misted because there's like they're like yeah, not much of him left. It's like he gets shot by thirty shots. I think it says each one lethal enough to kill him. So yeah, there's like uh, there's some warning lights that were in the hallway beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Skinks, when he's running away, manages to pull them all off, and <laughs> that's why uh, Galandro thinks he's safe to just charge down and kill that, him. But... That is a very Indiana Jones way for a bad guy to die. Because yeah. that happens like every Indiana Jones movie. It's like, oh, the power of the Ark, or there's a trap that only Indiana Jones knew because he was not an idiot. So, like, yeah, I, I appreciated that as well. Well, were these, like, stick-on LEDs? Were they not built into the wall or something? I didn't understand exactly how he was able to remove them, but I'll accept that he, he did. He do be having many legs, though. Hmm, that is a good point. <laughs> he does have several legs. <laughs> what more do you need? Do you have that many legs? Do no. you think so? Got one pair of legs. Arms, yeah. well. So Galandro gets defeated without Han defeating him, so he'll always have that knowing that uh, Han actually lost to Galandro. I did like that too, that because it was kind of setting it up like, okay, Galandro is good, but Han is really lucky, and he's got that smuggler's ability to get out of situations. But no, Galandro, not only does he shoot him once in the shoulder, but he shoots him a second time in the gun arm before Han can even draw. Um, yeah, so Han just uh, kind of sucks compared to him, and he has to live with that. So Yeah, Galandro could have killed him had he wanted to, um, but instead he wanted to basically capture him and take him back to the CSA for mm-hmm. other crimes. Yeah, he says to let him know, just to let people know what happens if you wrong Galandro, but I feel like if he returned with his body, that would have done just the same 
Yeah. Just as much good. So like, Han's not going to tell anyone in jail. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I don't think you get out of a CSA prison once you're in there. Well, unless that prison was Star's End. There was actually a whole book. Oh, God damn it. That's right. <laughs> actually, the, the only CSA prison we ever see, uh, everyone got out. So Is Star's End a CSA prison? Because it's got an Imperial guard there, doesn't it? There were Imperials that came, but... but isn't it I mean, managed? It's isn't still that part guy of the CSA, that... though. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that governor or whatever that's their... Uh... CSA I thought he guy? was like a high up within the the CSA. Oh itself, yeah, you're right. He was like the vice like president. Yeah, you're right. My so mistake. It was, it was. In I think most I was th- ways, at least a CSA prison. I think I was thinking of the fact that Han and the group pretend to be a uh, Imperial Guild of Entertainers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so they now without galandro they go and examine the treasures and they find out to them it's useless even though it is actually all this ancient mm-hmm. all these ancient artifacts i guess they were expecting gold or something or star wars gold mm-hmm. but instead it's just like ship armor uh like early types of ship armor uh, it's like gems well. but they're made out of bullshit <laughs> yeah they're really common gems now but they would have been really mm-hmm. rare at the time when zim had them but i like it's still this is from Zim's personal collection. It's yeah. of a good amount of value if you sell them to that university. But yeah, uh, it's like he found a cache of vacuum tubes, basically. Yeah, but it's like these are vacuum tubes used by someone famous. These are vacuum tubes that would have been in big starships. These were the first vacuum tubes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but basically, they're they have to be satisfied with getting enough. Like they take enough of the really high value stuff like paintings and whatever else that they can try to sell that and get enough money to of course just repair the ship get han fixed up because he has been shot twice not really they don't really get further ahead um no they just get enough to fix up the falcon and leave again yep uh bullocks and blue max uh along with badur and hosty kind of get hired by skinks and Mm -hmm. go off for a life of academic pursuits han and chewie are off alone and uh Badur, i think it's Badur, or is it it might be hosty makes the observation of there go the real survivors and that's the end of the trilogy as opposed to the people that they murdered yeah on account of how they're dead i like that for uh blue max and bollocks i like that life yeah. for them um, i was i was convinced they were going to die before the end of the series i'm really glad they didn't because i like both of them yeah because they're not really in any other books like i mean it would have been nice for them to have a run-in with Han, but I guess that would be a pretty small universe. They actually were the Yuuzhan Vong Hunter droids. <laughs> Can you imagine? They were YVH-1 and 7. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Max then becomes uh, Ben's nanny droid. <laughs> I can pretend. Like, Blue Max could have been inside the nanny droid. Yeah. I mean, it was already creepy enough. It was a fucking nanny droid with a Yuuzhan Vong Hunter <laughs> He's like, frame and face, I think. Will you milk me, Ben? <laughs> no. I don't like that at all. <laughs> Listen, I didn't write that. George Lucas wrote that, just like all the Star Wars EU books. Yeah, especially the Mara Jade stuff. George mm-hmm. Lucas was a big fan of Mara Jade. Mm-hmm. But that's basically it for the plot. Like we said, it's very similar to the other two. Um, it's fun, though. I like that this one might have been my favorite, actually. 
Because yeah, uh, I'm this Han trying to. I mean, it has Chewie trying to pull tail. Like, how are you delaying on this? There, are, like, like I was kind of saying earlier, there were sections that I preferred from each one of them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I have a favorite overall. Um, so the ending was probably the best in this one. The chase, <laughs> like the the middle chase in action was kind of the best in Star's End. The early parts were the best in Revenge, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah, fair enough. And the ending of this one is basically Han and Chewie walking off into the sunset, not having been any richer in anything but friendship, which, you know, it's a fitting ending for these sort of pulpy adventure novels, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, do you want to, are we going to rate these, like, compared to the other books as a whole? Uh, I don't know. Are we? Are you? Am I? Do we have the list? Do you have the list? I've got the list put up right now. Uh, topped for both of us with the last command and bottomed out for both of us with Kratos trap and champions of the force in slightly different orders yeah i'm gonna wait for it to load it's not quite loaded for me yet bit of a stream delay but if you want to talk about where you'd place it i'll talk about my placement after it loads so they're kind of difficult to place for me as a whole um I was kind of worried going into them because I'd never actually read them in their entirety before. Mm-hmm. And I ended up enjoying them a lot more than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're probably somewhere towards the top half for me. Oh, wow. But probably in the middle, actually. Uh, I'm probably going to put it between Rogue Squadron and Solo Command, which is... On solo adventures. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I have them twelfth of the books we've done so far, which is about twenty-four ish. So I think though this is where you and I might differ a bit because I like these books. I found them really enjoyable, but like I'm already forgetting like what happened in the first two, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where like if I look at Courts of Princess Leia, I can remember basically everything. Same with Dark That's Apprentice fair. or so for me, I think I'm actually going to put it, hmm, I'm tempted to put it second last, but wow. it's hard though, because I really enjoyed reading them, but they don't, they don't stick with me. I think I'll put them, I think I'll put them right above Dark Apprentice. So under Courtship and above Dark Apprentice. Okay. So for those audio listening, uh... That puts them for you at... I'm kind of wondering why the hell did I put Wraith Squadron so low? So we actually actually got a comment about that. That's the episode that we did with Alex. Um, Oh. And we were saying at that point that uh, we didn't see Wraith Squadron as having quite the same character development that we enjoyed out of the Rogue Squadron books. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of, and we kind of changed our opinion on that as we went through the rest of the Wraith Squadron books. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at just at the time, we we were. It's kind of hard when we're doing this because we're comparing just stuff that we're reading now and trying to think about how we felt about each book at the time. Yes. So comparing the character development in Wraith Squadron versus not just Rogue Squadron, but also. Uh, 
the other parts the of other the Rogue Squadron yeah. section. So because it's hard to kind of suss out what was going on there, and especially with the Wraith Squadron one, because we were, as you may remember, drinking for about an hour and a half with Star Wars Explained before we started the episode. <laughs> uh, and there there was a, a a fairly angry comment about how we were too hard on Wraith Squadron later. So maybe Am that's I allowed to bump it up. Uh, you want to bump up the Wraith Squadron? Yeah, I, I like think, yeah, we're able to. Like, it's way too low. Like, it definitely doesn't deserve to be below Courtship of Princess Leia or Jedi Search. See, I I shouldn't have been lumped in with the with uh with the criticism because for me, other than Iron Fist, I have it above every other uh Rogue Squadron book and Wraith Squadron or X Wing book, and mm-hmm. it's just just I Jedi that I have above it, and I I kind of feel like I want to bump I Jedi below it right now i'm definitely not there i think i want to move it under what happens in back to war again is that the final that's the one, that's where the they... one with the back to war in it right that's the final book of the x-wing yeah, that's where i start first away i think i want to move it under jedi healer uh so race squad you want to move under jedi healer yeah or maybe under under iron fist because i'm gonna i'm gonna uh I'm gonna believe my ranking of two books in the in the same series. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I'll move it below Iron Fist. Okay, so we'll probably have a better way to list these all. Uh, I do want to put up some sort of spreadsheet or something, and the more we read. We're probably not going to do like individual listings, or maybe we will. Yeah. But like this, just to kind of clarify again, this is not us saying objectively these books are better. This is just this was our opinion at the time. It may change over time, but mm-hmm. this was our impression. Uh, don't take it as like this is one hundred percent how good each of these books are. This is how it resonated with us at the time we read them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if we'd read them at a different time. Uh, in the context of different books, we'd feel differently about them. Maybe if we do a reread of some of them, yeah, uh, which we talked about with Plagueis, which is right now in second place, we'll change them around a bit. But uh, but yeah, so it's like even looking at them, like I can't even remember why I hated Champions of the Force so much. <laughs> uh, nothing, literally, that book, nothing happens in it. Yeah, I think I might have talked you into disliking that book more. No, I don't think so. Because um... after Dark Apprentice, like they resolve the plot in the first five pages of champions of the force and then they introduce other stuff that didn't need to go wrong right because they they kill xr coon pretty quickly xr coon <laughs> i gotta get a uh, i gotta find the the book in on youtube or something and take a little snippet or something to, to <laughs> include in the podcast all right well we got a couple questions by email we can also take a couple questions uh, from the chat, we'll do that after mm-hmm. the email question. So just tag me in the YouTube chat there if you have any questions you want us to answer right now. Um, and uh, yeah, so for those who jump out for the questions, there the next episode will be next Thursday. And we are going to be watching the first volume of the 2003 Clone Wars series. Uh, so Tartar if you sauce. have any more questions for that or if you have any questions from anything we've said today, email those questions into tapcalf transmissions at gmail.com mm-hmm. uh, we do read all the emails even if we don't necessarily respond to all of them or every point yeah. on the podcast uh, especially yeah. today we have a lot of emails to get through today which is good yeah i, I like the guys are sending us more emails 
Um, shall we start? I think the first one we received was from... I don't think we covered Adrian's last time. Uh, we also didn't cover the ads, I think. Oh, yes. Oh, did, oh, oh. no, I think we did talk about Guard Guard Team. Yeah, we did. We did. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> I didn't realize the, 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 <laughs> the subject line is just ads, all caps. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, so Adrian's is the first one. Here. Yeah, Adrian's is kind of just a Rebels thing, so I think we'll hold off answering that now. Um, I will say that the World Between Worlds will probably be get more attention later. Um, but other than that, we've got too much, to, unless there's anything you want to hop in and talk about there. Um, yeah, I think some of these are kind of discussion questions that'll come up when, like, there's, we're going to be doing... Uh, presumably rebels content mm -hmm. uh, especially like there's all the talk about there being a rebel sequel coming out so i think yeah. around uh any announcements on that will probably do some sort of retrospective yeah and maybe we'll talk about these topics there how many seasons um, of rebels are there four we could do like four. half a season per or yeah. season per episode or something yeah with that in the clone wars there's a few things we'd be able yeah. to do i'm not ready to do a clone wars rewatch just yet no. i just did one and <laughs> i'm burned out uh, the next one is from Greg, who says uh, he loves our show. Um, I know you guys are working through some of the last bits of the other book. I'm looking forward to New Jedi Order and Legacy of the Force. If you guys have time, cover the Young Jedi or the Junior Jedi Knight series and the Young Jedi Knights. Um, I think we'll probably be covering all of those. Maybe we might do multiple books in episode because they are kind of short. Yeah, they um, actually the way they were generally released. Like three together, like wasn't it? Three in a group or three or four in a group. So because there's the Shadow Academy trilogy. Arcs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those would be uh, good to group together. Because I really like those books. Mm -hmm. um, Me too. They they were my first EU books, so. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to sleep on those too much. Nope. But. No. I think it's. Uh, the next question. Is, oh, it, sorry. is it Junior that has Anakin and Young that's Jason yeah, and Junior Jana? is Anakin and Tahiri. And, and Young is Icarit, right? Jane and Jason. <laughs> yeah. Icarit yeah. and Junior. And then yeah. it just explodes in the Vong War. <laughs> Remember that character you loved, kids? We he, killed the family cat. That's that thing. Which which book is it that they come that he goes to Yavin? That is Anakin, right? He goes to Yavin and sees Tahiri. That book is so dark, man. Yeah. Um Tahiri gets like taken and just like the shit that happens to her is terrible. Yeah, Tahiri gets a lot of bad shit out. Was it? Uh, balance point. I honestly can't remember. But but yeah, I, f I forget which one. I a lot of stuff before Star by Star gets mashed up for me. Honestly, Basically everything in the Vong War gets ma mashed up for me. <laughs> uh, but Except Star asked, for Star. Yeah, well, that's where like Anakin dies. So there's a very clear difference in tone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how much of these books do you think influenced the? T so this is from Joel. Uh, how much of these books do you think influenced the 2018 Han Solo film? I know that movie took a lot of the basic elements of Han's legends, passed with some changes, obviously. And how do they live up and compare to the movie as well? It's funny because I wasn't a big fan of Solo when I came out. I was, I didn't hate it or anything. It wasn't like offensive. I just thought it was kind of boring. But after I watched it again, I think after we had read the first Han Solo adventure book, and I really, really loved it. Like I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Like... I guess my mind wasn't ready for like a truly kind of just dumb, pulpy Star Wars movie. Like, arguably Rogue One is kind of like that because it's much more self-contained. It's not dumb or pulpy, but it's very self-contained. 
Um, but Solo is very similar to what like a Star Wars Legends novel would have been like. Obviously, it's not exactly like the stories we have here, um, but it's similar in a lot of ways. And of course, it's probably the Star Wars book with the most Legends references, I would guess. Like Zim the Despot gets a reference mm -hmm. in it in the background. His skulls in it. Yeah, like I think this the tone overall is somewhat similar mm -hmm. until you get to uh the last bits with the rebellion in solo. Yes. Like all the stuff on Corellia is probably similar tone. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how much it directly would have influenced it. Maybe a couple people worked on the movie. Yeah. Pulled in some things, but I I don't know that it's super derivative. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh next email was from Sam. Hello there from Australia, Corey and Justin. Uh, really enjoy the podcast and share your dislike of Corellians and Odds and Akbar and Winter Pun and Water Puns, not Winter Puns. Uh, but he did link us to uh, something to add to the pile of Akbar X Winter con Water content. And I just keep wanting to say Winter. I don't know why, but uh, his personal pet peeve is characters in Zan's book especially taking a deep breath and letting it out anything that <laughs> sticks out to you guys and you're reading for the podcast i mean i think a lot of sardonically it is, just like is sardonically like Zan has a lot of them yeah there's pro um warbling he says the word warble a lot like droids yeah. warble machines warble um <laughs> snap hiss like we said um his characters are very <laughs> they're they're just funny like <laughs> You know how Mara's gonna act before she even speaks, so it's very, it's, but it's good in a way because the characters are very distinct, maybe a little outlandish personalities, but I like that. Yeah. And thank you, Sam, for the email. Much appreciated, dude. Yeah, for me, the only thing is just like the, a lot of authors relying on characters making references to stuff that happened in the mm -hmm. original trilogies. If that's what you need to make it a Star Wars book. Yeah, it it kind of feels like they don't feel confident in their ability to just write a Star Wars book, and uh, it's like, oh, remember that time we were in the trash? Com like they're they're taking out mm -hmm. the garbage. It's like this reminds me of the time we were trapped in the trash compact. You don't need to do it. Well, like they've but, done a lot more shit since then. It's like, yeah, remember the time I shut down all those world devastators? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty epic. <laughs> anyway, next next emails from Asher. Um, who asks, if they had made the Throne Children into films in the late 80s or 90s, what do you think the reception would have been? I'm one of those people that I don't think the Throne Trilogy would make a very good series of films. Agreed. Because I think that um, Joris Sabayoth, especially from like a film perspective, is quite a step down from Vader and Palpatine as a, a scary big bad enemy. And I think there's a lot of nuance, like not really nuanced, but there's a lot of things in the book that just wouldn't translate well, like Thrawn's strategy and stuff. Um, and it's just not paced well for a movie. Yeah. The changes that you'd have to make to make a good movie adaptation for it, I think a lot of people who thought they wanted a Thrawn movie would be up in arms about it. Mm -hmm. And then everyone else probably wouldn't really yeah. mind whether it was that or something else. And some of the stuff like Joris, Sabayoth, and Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker Luke. Uh, probably would have been uh, not fantastic. So yeah. we already got like we already got the Thrawn trilogy as uh, as books, and mm -hmm. I'd be all for a movie with Thrawn in it. Yeah, uh, and I think like I'd be fine with any number of Mickelsons playing Thrawn. But, <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> um, 
But somebody I, asked I don't me the other day if Pierce exactly. Brosnan. No, I think it has to be a Mickelson. Yeah. Um, Again, I mentioned don't this, care which one. I mentioned this, I think, maybe on the podcast, but they do, like, DC animated adaptations of some of their comics. Like, The Killing Joke is the one they did, I think, most famously. Um, and that, I think, like, some of those, I think, are beyond movie length. So, like, you could do a series of three animated movies that I think would work really well because the expectations are different. Um, and maybe you could even have Mark Hamill voicing Luke or one of the characters anyway. He Maybe he's too old. But uh, I think that would be cool. And then you can have... That's something they could still do someday. I don't know. I don't know. Don't know if it'll ever happen. But there's no, there's no end date because if you did animate it, obviously Carrie Fisher's dead and the other actors are old, so... I'd love Luke voicing, like, uh, I guess not for these. Maybe, like, Garambet Lebless or something. <laughs> Mark like, Hamill doing his... Uh, oh, yeah, I said, I said Luke, to sorry. Voice, uh, ...to voice Han Solo. Yeah, that would be good. I, I think that would be fantastic. I'm in for it. Uh, thank you for that email, though. Um, the next one we have is from the Review Basement. Um, he says, Hi, guys, just discovered the podcast yesterday. He basically explains that he was listening to our episodes, and then he realized he should go to sleep, which is quite a compliment. Um, so he said he grew up reading the X-Wing series, and that those are his favorite series of Star Wars novels ever, and that's probably the opinion I hear the most about those. <laughs> a lot of people really have a love for that, those series, and or that kind of overarching series, and I get it. Um, it feels like it's a treat that we're going o over it in depth. Uh, he just wants to say hi and introduce himself as a new listener, and he's also from Ottawa. He runs a blog called The Review Basement. So thank you very much, uh, Josh, for that email. We appreciate those very kind words that all of you have been sending us. And uh, yeah, we read them all, so thank you very much. Uh... And Javier is asking our top five favorite factions. Is our Empire of the Hand, Fell Empire, Hapes Consortium, the Mandalorians, and the Chiss in no particular order? Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, Do you have a specific top one favorite faction, Eck? Yeah, I think you know what it is. It's the Legends New Republic. I love them. I love them. I thought you were gonna say the Bakurans. <laughs> I do like the Cyruvi just because of how wacky they are. Um, I don't know if you saw this, yeah. but I I'm sure that this information has existed for a while um in canon but they posted a new map from an upcoming star wars book and i just realized that octo is like right in the cyruvi imperium so what an interesting way to end episode nine with uh ray going to octo and getting in tech yeah it was it would have been introduced and forewarned as well as palpatine returning mm. yeah uh, about, so you want, you actually, you're proposing right now that the Ciruvi, after having just said the Thrawn trilogy wouldn't have made uh, a good movie series, you wanted, on record right now, the Ciruvi to be the big bads of Rise of Skywalker. Yes, that is correct. Okay, perfect. Nothing uh, I want to see so, more than a group of egg ships. I mean, like, what are those big Ciruvi ships that are just basically eggs? The Shrees, the Rex, yeah. yeah. the Fuasens, uh, the Dekis. I was just uh, showing them. All of them are... <laughs> uh, what are, uh, yours are, is the Empire of the Hand, right? Empire of the Hand, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a second well, at favorite? Least in in the mod, in Thrawn's Revenge, it's the Empire of the Hand, just because I 
get to do whatever I want with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in universe terms, uh, I I've never had to think of it beyond that. So New Republic's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, CIS aesthetically, I really like, even if I don't like them that much individually. Yeah, you love the recusant. Chiss are an interesting species, but they're also like kind of fashy. Um, <laughs> a little more than kind of. Yeah, they're they're explicitly fascist. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. Um, the good th- yeah. So thank you for that email, uh, Javier. Let's continue. We've got. Oh. So we did mention uh, in the last episode uh, a kind of like analysis slash essay that Sarah sent us, and we asked her if they're about Cornhorn, uh, and if there was any way uh, if she wanted to send us a link to put up for uh, where she wrote that. She did send us uh, a link for that, which I'll put in the description here, and we'll also put it in the description on the Podbean thing, bean thing, which should it's get sent very out very the Spotify uh, description and everything. Yeah. Uh, so check that out. Yeah, it's a very kind of extensive overview of his history and how corn works. So highly recommend you guys check that out. If you can't um, check the description for some reason, if you look up the meta of corn horn on archiveofourown.org, um, it's by Iron Iron Feral Kitty. So yeah, you should be able to find it like that. Honestly, if you search up the meta of corn horn in quotes, you'll probably find it. So. Highly recommend you guys read that, especially if you are interested in Corn Horn. And as we kind of mentioned, um, it gives a bit m- more overview of why Corn might be the way he is. Yeah. Which is ranking every woman he meets <laughs> based on screw ability. And and we made it to Reddit with that, so that's our contribution to the yes, Star we Wars did. discussion. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So the last one is from. The general, he says, "Hey guys, love the podcast. Was wondering what an ISB officer was and what time the solo series you're reading right now takes place." So the solo series we're reading takes place one to two years before the events of A New Hope. So this is basically what Han Solo was doing right before, and at the end of this, he even mentions um, going to see Jabba. Yeah. So uh, an ISB um, officer is basically an Imperial Security Bureau officer. That's what the ISB stands for. Um, they worry about security threats to the Empire um, from outside, but especially in new canon, ISB officers are very focused on like routing out um, spies and uh, people who aren't loyal to the Empire. I don't know if Legends was like that as well. Yeah, there, there's uh, some shifts that happen with it in Compnor mm-hmm. uh, that I don't remember the exact direction they went in. I think uh ilraz ends up taking over stuff with it but i i can't recite it offhand but mm-hmm. uh but yeah i i think i actually did a video on this relatively recently uh where isb and Comnor came up and part of their relationship but i forget exactly what i talked about there uh but yeah the isb are mentioned a lot and, oh sorry yeah. there's definitely a political element to it but mm-hmm. that was kind of injected later i think yeah uh, but there yeah Imperial Security Bureau. So in canon, the ISB are mentioned a lot. I think in the maybe one of the the early Thrawn books. I think we get some ISB stuff, and then I can't remember where where else. But they're really fleshed out in some of the. Um, uh, they're in Rebels West as End well. Games. I think it's West End Games is Star Wars tabletop stuff. Okay, so. that makes sense. 
sure they're uh, in like the source the imperial source book and stuff as well yeah um, um he also asks for good beginner star wars legends books we should probably do an episode on this someday but i recommend pretty much everybody starts with the thrawn trilogy because it's the most movie like in my opinion even though i said it wouldn't make a good movie tone wise it captures the like the characters and stuff i'd recommend that um he says he'd like to read Plagueis. Is there multiple? There's just one Plagueis book. Um, what I don't would you think Plagueis is a good place to start. Yeah, I agree. Uh, because it, a lot of the things that make it as good as it is as a Star Wars book is um, that it is so reference dense. Mm-hmm. So And like the way it ties together things. So you'll kind of miss out on some of that. Like you, yeah. It's still a good book independent of that. Yeah. Uh, but there, I think you'll get a lot more value out of it if you read other stuff first. Yep, agreed. Do you have any starter book that you recommend other than the Thrawn Trilogy, or is that your go-to? Thrawn Trilogy is a great place to start. I think if you start with any of the Thrawn Trilogy, uh, Rogue Squadron, or you could do Truce of Bakura just because it starts right after, but that's usually seen as like a a somewhat worse book than the Thrawn Trilogy are. Thrawn Trilogy is... Uh, doesn't really build on other stuff. Like, there's not too many references to things that would have happened that you're unaware of. Uh, it focuses on the main trio. That's yep. kind of the advantage it has over the X-Wing books is that the X-Wing books are pretty much entirely new people. Yeah. So if you're open to that, then X-Wing books are a great place to start if you just want to have some more Han, Luke, and Leia adventures than Thrawn Trilogy for sure. Do you have any recommendations for non-post-Endor? Like um, some of the Darth Vader books like before episode Darth four. Vader yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people like the Bane trilogy. I'm personally not a big fan. Um, I think it's a little edgy for edgy's sake, but that's... Yeah, an... I don't think that's a good place to start either. Yeah. Fair enough. <clears throat> so yeah, those are some options there. Thank you very much, General, for the email. We do have a few questions in the chat. Uh, this is one I've been hearing a lot. Corey, is the MC-80 Home 1 really supposed to be the size it is in Thrawn's Revenge? Because I've been answering this a lot, so do you want to go ahead and... Yeah, so the the size we have it at is about 3,200 meters. That is based off of some scaling metrics from the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most commonly quoted size tends to be 12 to 1,400 meters. Makes no sense. Because of specific mentions in RPG source books that then, because they were an explicit number, get passed around a lot more. And because mm-hmm. they were an explicit number, that means they get used on Wikipedia, which means that people go to Wikipedia, see yeah. that, and think this is the end of the discussion. Uh, but if you are scaling it based off of any shots in the movies, mm-hmm. it is significantly larger. Yeah. Because um, some of those numbers put it as smaller than... So the same places that put the Home 1 at twelve to 1,400 meters also sometimes put the Liberty as bigger than the Home 1. Yeah, which, which clearly isn't is, true. It's not even internally consistent. Uh, so when you're basing it off of the movie scaling for that, it is... Um, it's closer. It's at least three kilometers up to potentially five kilometers. There's one scene uh, where the shuttle Tidarium leaves, where you can you get a look at the hangar versus the shuttle Tidarium and the Millennium Falcon. So you can use that to establish a baseline, so like size, and then later it shows a shot of the entire ship with the hangar. So you can kind of get a rough estimate, and I think that average is like like you said about three point four. Um, yeah, and yeah, that makes sense. Um, are there any other questions? I will just say too, I was got a buzz on my phone and they did announce just now Gary Witta, who was the writer for Rogue One, will be doing, did you ever read A Certain Point of View? 
No. So it's basically I think an I anthology. I read parts of it in a bookstore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can do that for that. It's it's an anthology series basically where it takes um, a bunch of stories based on moments from the first one was for episode four. So like the gunnery officer in uh, who's didn't shoot down the uh, the escape pod as it was leaving the Tantive Four or like people in the canteen or whatever else. Um, so they just announced they're doing one for Empire Strikes Back with 40 authors and 40 Thanks. stories. So that should be fun. I'm really looking forward to that. The first one was really enjoyable. It was like a basically a Tales from the uh, series. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we got two or three more questions from chat. Uh, review basement. Do you think the Han Solo adventure fits well in the over? How well do you think the Han Solo adventures fits overall in the EU and Legends continuity? Uh, we've talked fine. about some of the some of the weirdness uh, just as a result of it being so undeveloped when it happened, but because it came first, uh, it tends to be what other things had to refer to, and then stuff like Tion gets pulled out of it, and a lot of other character mm -hmm. references get pulled out of it. So overall, it fits well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Han gets. One thing I kind of wish is that they'd set the book a little bit earlier because it's so much action for like months before episode four. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, if it had been five years before and Han's a little bit younger, I think that fits a bit better. But otherwise, I mean, it's very fantastical, especially this book. Um, Han is tracking down an ancient civilization. Lando will do that as well uh, when we get to his trilogy. Um, but it's fun. It's cool. I like it. It fits. <laughs> uh, then... Paul is asking, is the new Thrawn trilogy a good place to start? I think it's a good place to start for getting into the new, uh, new it's okay. channel. With, um... I will say, the last two books, they're well-written and they're good. But, like, especially in the third book, nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Because, like, so in the third they book... They can't really go anywhere yet. Yeah, the third book, they are totally, totally locked in. Or Timothy Zahn is totally locked in by what happens in Star Wars Rebels. He's got very, very little story to, to tell. And that's a book that, in my opinion, you can totally skip. I recommend, for me, I recommend um, Lost Stars. Star. Have yeah, you read Lost that Star one? Is really good. Yeah. Lost Stars is really good. And even Aftermath, it gets some hate. Um, but it it is a, like probably the most full trilogy we've gotten in the new canon so far. Mm -hmm. Um... Andrew's asking how powerful really was Stormtrooper armor. I mean, that just is basically plot. Mm -hmm. How powerful does the plot need it to be? Mm -hmm. uh, RPGs handle it one way. Games handle it another. Uh, yeah. Usually it's just more protective than just not wearing Stormtrooper armor. <laughs> but, I mean, look, look what happened at Endor. We'll talk about them later. You can explain it around however you want, but they got beaten by teddy bears with Rocks. clubs. Um, yeah. Temple Institute had a good video on this kind of recently that I liked. I don't know if you saw that. The one about how, uh, like the one that just came out? Or yeah. Yeah, basically like whether the Empire thing. could hold Earth. It's like, yeah, they, Stormtroopers also pretty much always just wear white, which isn't a great uh, camouflage technique, mm -hmm. um, especially compared to what we have on Earth. But is that it? Do we have any other you'd like to touch, touch on before oh, we leave? Yeah. Koi's asking thoughts on the other Han Solo trilogy. We'll be covering that trilogy on its own. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure we'll make some comparisons then, but I think that's it. Uh, we are going to be doing Birio Kart tonight, so in mm -hmm. about 15 minutes, I think Charlie scheduled it for 15 minutes ago. I think ago. he set it for 10.30. Uh, he initially set it for 15 minutes ago. Oh, okay. And Oops. 
now I think it's set for uh, 15 minutes from now. So we'll be hopping over there yep. on youtube.com slash E-C-K-S-T-O-O. That's the gaming channel that uh, is featuring both Eck and myself and mm-hmm. Charlie. Uh, so we'll be drinking and playing Mario Kart. We're adults. Yeah. I have a child. I don't. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Just a reminder, next week is Tartar Sauce episode one. And yeah, have a good one. May the force be with you. Live long and prosper. Something, something from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if we want to go there. Anymore. Don't like that right now. <laughs>